Our gospel lesson from the lectionary for this Sunday is taken from the gospel of Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 16. It's a tough lesson and today's message is called it's not fair or that's not fair. Anyone ever had an experience with that? This has been going on for generations. So Jesus told a parable this way. He said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Think about the guys who gather at Lowe's or Home Depot. And the landowner said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. He said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. The landowner said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But the landowner replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, said Jesus, and the first will be last. Here ends this challenging reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. All right, let us pray. And I'm, is the noise too much in the back? Is that why that door is closed? Let's open that door back up in the back. Nope, the sound people are saying no. All right, we're going to keep the windows open. We're going to circulate the fresh air, whatever we need to do to make sure that y'all can be in the sanctuary when you need to be in the sanctuary. I see a lot of the folks in the sanctuary, and I'm assuming some of you at home too are in tears right now because of the power of that song. Can we give another round of applause? to what I call the best worship band in the city of Columbus. We've just had church. We have just had church. We have a lot going on and we've just had church. So let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. This is a tough passage, especially in the midst of a pandemic and all the other stuff that's going on. It's a tough passage. 
So my favorite insight about today's gospel passage comes from theologian Barbara Brown Taylor. And she put it this way. She said, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard is a little like cod liver oil. You know Jesus is right. You know it must be good for you, but it does not make it any easier to swallow. Amen. Today's parable is so radical that it offends, especially in the meritocracy or supposed meritocracy of the United States. It offends because it seems to reward those who have done the least while it sends those who have worked the hardest to the end of the line. Doesn't sound very fair, does it? So I'm going to share a humorous dialogue with you that helps us get to the heart of the dilemma. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. When you think about what's not fair, let's just go all the way back. Let's just go all the way back to Genesis. And here's the dialogue. After creating heaven and earth, God created Adam and Eve. And one of the first things God said was, don't. Don't what? Adam replied. Don't eat the forbidden fruit, said God. Forbidden fruit? We have forbidden fruit? Hey, Eve, we have forbidden fruit. No way, says Eve. Yes way, Adam replies. Do not eat the fruit, says God. Why? Adam and Eve ask in unison. Because I am your father and because I said so, said God. A few minutes later, now this is my translation, right? It's 2,000 years later. A few years later, God saw his children, Adam and Eve, having an apple break. God said, didn't I tell you not to eat the apple? "Uh Uh-huh, Adam replied. Then why did you eat the apple, said the father. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. Adam said, see, she started it. Did not, shouted Eve. Did too, shouted Adam. Did not, did too. Does that sound familiar? Okay, I'm taking, this is a loose translation. But having had it with the two of them, God's punishment was that Adam and Eve should have children of their own. Thus, the pattern was set for the rest of humanity. If you want to think about what's not fair, all you have to do is be around a couple of children for a while. Kids seem to squabble about the same things generation after generation. And if you're around children very much, sooner or later, you're going to hear the declaration, but that's not fair. In my house, it sounds like this. But mom, that's not fair. Did you know that children are hardwired for fairness? Did you know that? It's hardwired in their biology. Ann Crittenden wrote a book for parents who were re-entering the workforce titled, If You've Raised Kids, You Can Manage Anything. I think of all the parents at home right now trying to work remotely and take care of their kids. Her book uh, was written um, about 15 years ago, but she wrote, if you've raised kids, you can manage anything. And in her book, Anne Crittenden suggests that children are hardwired for fairness as part of our human evolutionary biology. This innate sense of fairness that children have is probably due, the author suggests, to the bad old days when parental partiality could be fatal 
to the less favored child. As an example, Crittenden tells of visiting the Galapagos Islands where she observed the parenting practices of a special type of blue-footed bird. Now, if you're watching online, even if you're here in the sanctuary and have your phones, these birds have a special name that I cannot pronounce during a sermon. But it's a fun fact to look up and have a good laugh with your kids about how biologists come up with names for things. But there's a special name for these blue-footed birds, and you can get a laugh about that. But it is a very interesting evolutionary observation, because here's how it works. The blue-footed mama bird hatches two eggs, and the mama bird watches those two eggs very closely, and she decides which of the newborn birds is the sturdiest and most likely to survive. Then the mama bird boots the other, less hardy baby bird out of the nest to die. It appears that the second birdie was just despair. That is a well-known fact about these birds. So Anne Crittenden writes, after tracing some of this biology, both in other species and our species, she writes, small children view any trace of parental favoritism with the same panic that must have been felt by the luckless, blue-footed baby bird. You wonder why your kids get so worked up about it. Well, they're hardwired for fairness. And every parent has heard that anguished cry, that's not fair. Raise your hand in the sanctuary if you've ever heard that from a kid. Raise your hand. Let us know online if you've ever heard that from a kid. Her piece of pie is bigger than mine. I want a bike as big as his. You love him better than me. Unfairness can feel like a matter of life and death because, Anne Crittenden writes, at one time, it probably was. But it's the oldest contention in society that's not fair. I mean, again, if I went all the way back to the beginning, I thought, let me see if we can trace this in the Bible. So again, let's go back to Genesis. Do you remember Adam and Eve's two boys? What were their names? Tell me their names. Cain and Abel. It's muffled here in the sanctuary because everyone's got to wear their masks, but you can hear it online as well. Cain and Abel. And they brought their offerings to God, and for some reason, God accepted Abel's offerings, but not Cain's. And that's not fair, Cain thought in his heart. And his resulting anger was the source of humanity's first murder. Think about that. That's in our scriptures because he didn't feel that he was treated fairly. And the thing is that that's not fair is a refrain that we hear not only among children, but among adults as well. That's why we have lawyers and judges. It's why some families split after the reading of the last will and testament. And the examples could go on and on. How many of you have read about someone who won the lottery and thought, wait a minute, that's not fair. I didn't win the lottery. Or someone gets a promotion and you feel like, wait a minute, that wasn't fair. Or finding out that another church literally found a pot of gold in the church basement. You're like, wait a minute. (laughs) We have a big basement. Life is often not fair. And our struggle with life's unfairness is not new. So today I want to take you through some teaching 
because we sometimes get caught up in current events. A lot is happening right now. We have a global pandemic. We have social unrest. A lot of us could barely get through yesterday, having learned on Friday that um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. I mean, there's a lot happening in our world right now that can distract us from who we are to be as people during this most challenging time in history. I'm not saying those other things aren't important. They are. But sometimes we have to go back to the basics to figure out who will we be as people and what will we rely on to help us make the choices we need to make. So I want to do some teaching today about a very, very tough scripture in the Bible. Jesus told a parable about a landowner, and I read the scripture. Pastor Mary shared um, some teaching on this, and you're going to hear it again, because I hope that you walk away from today not having any doubts about what this, pa- what this passage means. But Jesus told a parable about a landowner who went out early in the morning, about six o'clock in the morning, to hire workers for his vineyard. This was a common practice in that part of the world, particularly during the grape harvest. Storms could easily ruin a crop, and it was important to get the harvest in as quickly as possible. Now, the work was hard. Working hours were from dawn to sunset, a 12-hour day. And the wage was a standard one. It was a silver coin called a denarius. Have you ever heard of that? A denarius, denarius, tomato, tomato. But that was the standard wage. Now, I loved an Anglican pastor from England, Tim Chesterton, made this point. He said a denarius was not only the average daily wage for a worker, but it was also the average cost of surviving per day for the masses of poor families in Israel. It didn't allow any room to maneuver. A denarius could buy your family what they needed to stay alive, no more and no less. So a day's work and a full day's wage were essential to survival. During the grape harvest, men who wanted to work would go to the marketplace and they would stand around and wait to be hired. A not uncommon practice today, especially for our undocumented friends and neighbors. Back then, the men would work the 12 hours and then they would be paid at the end of the day so that each man could go home and buy food for his family. If a man was unable to find work on a particular day, then his family would not eat. If he found work for only part of a day, and thus was unable to earn a whole denarius, his family would eat, but not enough to stave off the hunger pangs. This meant that there was a lot at stake for the workers in Jesus' story. You may not know that. A lot was at stake. It was not just about fairness. It was about survival. So the generous landowner went out at six in the morning to hire workers. He agreed to pay those workers the standard wage, a denarius for the day. About nine in the morning, he went back to the marketplace and saw some other men standing around. Obviously, no other jobs were available, which is why they were still standing around. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. The landowner went out again, it says in the passage, again at noon, and again at three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. So often we miss that point. The guy went out four different times to pick up workers. Four different times. 
He didn't just stop and see who was there at six and take what he needed. He kept going back and kept going back four times. About five in the afternoon, the final hour of the workday, and again, what if I'm counting right, the fifth time he went out, the landowner went out and found still others standing around during the final work hour. He told them to work in his vineyard too. When quitting time came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired last at about five in the afternoon each received the full denarius. Can you imagine how happy these workers were? A full day's wage for only an hour's work. They would be able to feed their family. They would be able to pay their bills. Maybe they could keep the bank from foreclosing on their home. How in the world could they be expected to hide their joy in their good fortune? And that created a problem in the scripture. When those who were hired first came to be paid, and they knew how generous the landowner had been with those who had worked only an hour, they expected a huge bonus. Can you imagine their disappointment when they also received only one denarius and they began to grumble? They said, those who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have paid them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the landowner answered them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give you. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my money, said the landowner. And then it's in the scripture. He says, or are you envious because I am generous? And then Jesus added these cryptic words at the end of the story. So the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Now, how many of you have heard that? Let us know online as well. Yeah, a lot in the sanctuary. You've heard that before. Doesn't really get any less fair than that, right? The last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. And that's because, and here's the key, if you get nothing else from the sermon today, I hope you'll write this down and put it on your fridge and remember this. It's because God is not fair. God is generous. God is not fair. God is generous. Jesus is reminding us in this passage that God's abundant grace is available to us all without measure and without merit and without exception. God is not fair. God is generous. Which is important because we know, I expect that each and every one of you, now there might be a few exceptions, but I expect that each and every one of you has had a time when you were not at the front of the line and therefore deserved the most in life. I am sure despite your best efforts and your best intentions, there were times that you ended up in the back of the line, maybe because of your gender or your race or your sexual orientation or identity or whatever it was you still ended up at the back of the line. We can be at the back of the line for all sorts of reasons. Even when we do our best, life can get in the way. We can become sick, lose our jobs, 
The business goes under because of a pandemic. The relationship can't survive uh, quarantine. A tornado or a flood or a wildfire wipes out our home. Our kid is in trouble. I could go on. There are all kinds of reasons why we can end up at the back of the line. And only God can really sort all that out. Because today's lesson is ultimately a parable about the generosity of God. God pours out grace without reservation and without regard to who deserves it and who doesn't. It's totally unearned. Grace is unearned whether we have labored for Christ for 50 years or for 50 minutes, which is about where we are in this service right now. All we have to do to receive God's grace is literally to open our hearts to it. And it may not seem fair, but that's all we have to do is open our heart to God's grace. I mean, it's no wonder it is called amazing grace. You know, a few years ago, Bill Moyers created a documentary about the hymn Amazing Grace. I'm going to give you a few tips this week for things to watch. Some of you are getting Netflixed out. You're watching crap on television and on the phone or whatever. You've read through all your good books because we're six months into this pandemic and we probably have six months more. So I'm going to keep giving you some tips about some uplifting things that you can watch and ways that you can enrich your mind and your spirit as we get through this pandemic together. But Bill Moyers created a documentary about the hymn Amazing Grace. And the hymn was written by a former slave ship captain John Newton. So think about that. This is a guy who transported slaves who was converted and wrote this hymn. And he converted during a storm at sea where he almost perished. Well, during the modern day documentary, based on the hymn, there is an unusual scene. It took place during a massive benefit concert in England in 1988. And this is a benefit concert that had been all about rock bands. All day, about 70,000 music fans were at a concert, and they had been blasted with hard-driving rock bands. Remember, like, Guns N' Roses and things like that? Yeah, people raising their hands. Yeah. Now, strangely, the concert organizers for this benefit concert had scheduled opera singer Jesse Norman to close the concert. Y'all know Jesse Norman? Raise your hand if you've heard of opera singer Jessie Norman. Again, another tip. If you haven't heard of her, look her up this week. Watch one of her concerts. But she was an opera singer called to close out a raucous hard rock benefit concert. When Miss Norman first took the stage, the fans reacted negatively. Here was an opera singer without a backup band, depending completely on her voice. And she silenced the crowd with her opening line. So we're going to turn down the house lights. And I'm going to ask you, we're just going to take two minutes to listen to a little of what she did. And I know watching at home, you'll be watching the screen. You can get it on YouTube at the full four and a half, five minutes. We're just going to show you two minutes. But take a moment to listen to what happened.
What was historic about that moment was that after her first line, 70,000 rock fans were singing the words to that song. If you listen to the video, and you listen to the, it's grainy, it was 1988, but if you listen to the video, you can hear in the background the booze when she first got up there. And by a minute, two minutes in, 70,000 fans are singing with her from memory, from memory. It's been said that there are more people who know the words to the song Amazing Grace by heart than who know our country's national anthem. That's important. How many of you know the song Amazing Grace, at least part of it? You can hum it even if you don't know all the words. Yeah, I think most of you. Let us know online. Amazing grace. So I'm going to leave you with one more example today about what does it mean when we say God is not fair, God is generous. And this example is from the 1998 Steven Spielberg movie Saving Private Ryan. How many of you have seen that movie, heard of that movie? I know we have some film experts here with us today. Let us know online. If you've seen this movie or heard about this movie, um, almost everything from Steven Spielberg is magnificent, but this one especially has a good message for us today. As a reminder, or if you have not seen the movie, again, this is one that I recommend. Watch the movie this week. Take some time and watch it. See what you can see in it. Saving Private Ryan is about the invasion of Normandy, France, in World War II. And another pastor kind of summed up the movie in this way, and I really liked his summary, where he said, the movie opens with an older man walking through a cemetery perched above the Normandy beach where Allied troops landed on D-Day. He approaches a grave at the cemetery and kneels in front of it, weeping. Suddenly, the movie jumps back 54 years to the day of the invasion. And for the next 20 minutes, we watch one of the most horrifying war sequences ever filmed. Some 5,000 Allied troops were killed or wounded on the beaches of Normandy that day. And it seems like the movie shows every one of them in anguishing personal detail. And finally, a beachhead is established, and for a moment, the troops are safe. But then, the real plot of the movie begins. Eight soldiers who survived the invasion are sent to rescue an American paratrooper named Private Ryan, 
who had been dropped behind enemy lines. Private Ryan was the last surviving son of a mother who had sent four sons in the war to serve our country. Talk about not fair. This is a true story. Talk about not fair. So eight soldiers are sent to rescue Private Ryan. The eight rescuers go through harrowing experiences to find Private Ryan. And when they find him, several men lose their lives trying to rescue him and get him out. The last one killed is the captain of the unit, played by Tom Hanks. As the captain dies, he says to Private Ryan, earn this. Think about that. His final words to Private Ryan, as the captain was dying, he said to the private, earn this. At that moment, the movie switches back to the gray-haired man at the cemetery, and we, are, we realize that we are looking at Private Ryan in his 70s. He is kneeling before the grave of the captain, and then he stands and salutes. But at the grave, he turns to his wife, and he says, tell me I've been a good person. And his wife is puzzled. He doesn't, she doesn't understand the question, but we who have been watching the movie completely understand. He is asking her, Tell me that my life has been worth saving. Tell me that I fulfilled the purpose for which the captain gave his life. What a wonderful metaphor for us as Christians. We know that God's grace is free. We did nothing to deserve it. And I'm choked up today because I want each of you to think about what I've been thinking about. Count out, if you can, this week to 200,000. Take a day and just put marks on paper. 200,000. 200,000 people have been lost. And we have not collectively mourned as a country. We have not adequately celebrated those people. We have not adequately let that sink in so that we can move from grief to joy, so that we can find ways to honor all of these people. And for each of you sitting here today, for each of you who are online right now, for everyone here in the sanctuary, if you are here right now and this virus hasn't taken you or a member of your family, I encourage you, find ways to make your life count. We are not in a regular or normal time. We are in a historic time in our history. And each of you has been called for such a time as this. Each of you has an opportunity to make your life count. Because when you start just putting 200,000 marks on a piece of paper, your arm is going to get tired before you can finish. Because it is an extraordinary debt. But I am here today to give you some good news. We talk in our church about laughter and tears, that that's sometimes how we most see God. But I want to share with you that today's message is to bring home that life is not fair. We know life is not fair. Some of you have lost loved ones during this time, and it was not fair. We are missing Steve. We are missing John. We are missing others from our congregation who don't get to be with us today, and that is not fair. But today's message is to remind us that God is generous. 
All we need do is accept God's love, whether we are at the front of the line, in the back of the line, or behind enemy lines, or on an IV line because of COVID. All we need do is accept God's love. It makes no difference to to God where we are in line because God wants to save us all, no exceptions. And each one of you has a role in that. Thanks be to God. Amen.